you're here this morning today we're still involved in this series in Galatians I hope to be done by now but we we're not done because I get bogged down and it's my fault and and generally I know it's coming because I can tell I prepare these PowerPoint slides and I know how long I've got to teach and I know I'm good if I've got about 30 maybe 31 slides it gives me about a minute and a half a slide. And that gets me to class and then we're done. But my problem is, is I just get into this too much and I get down in the weeds and it messes this up. So I'd love to tell you I've got 30, 31 slides and we'll make it through spiritual living, Galatians 5, 6 through 5, 26. The problem is I have 65 slides. And... Mother's Day lunch is the busiest restaurant day of the year. So I can't exactly, I don't know. It's my fault though. It's all my fault. So um, um, with that, we better start. There was a book that was popular, sort of, when I was growing up. I say growing up. When I was in high school, I came across this book. I read it. It influenced my life. I got to meet some of the people behind the book over time. But the book was entitled, How Should We Then Live? It was by a fella named Francis Schaeffer. And it was a really difficult book to read and understand as a high school kid because I didn't have a lot of the knowledge I needed. You know, in, in college terms, I hadn't really taken the prereqs. And so uh, I was having to try to understand things that were really hard to understand for me. I don't think, looking back at it as an adult, I don't think it helped that, uh, nothing personal, I, don't, I hate to speak ill of the dead, but Francis Schaeffer was not the best writer in the world. And so it was hard to read some of his stuff as well from that perspective. But it was interesting to talk to the Schaeffer clan uh, over time because I had a, a, an interesting insight, they said. If... The, they categorized and listed the major complaint of the book. It wasn't my complaint. It wasn't, it's difficult to understand because it assumes you already know a lot. It wasn't, it's difficult to understand because it's poor, it, it, the, the writing is not captivating and easy to read. It's not clear. No. The major complaint of this book was, it doesn't tell you how to live. The book title gives you the impression it's going to be a how-to book. You know, and life is full of daily challenges. And we'd love to have a how-to book. We'd love a book that simply says, here's how you do it. Here's how to navigate life. I do real well if I get instructions, but I like the one, two, threes of how to live. Step one. Step two, step three. 
Now, let's put this into perspective with what we're studying in Galatians. Galatians is what I believe to be the very first letter that Paul wrote that we've still got today. And Galatians was written to some churches in what is now southern Turkey. But these were churches that Paul had established through his mission work. And like most of the churches, Paul established them through going to the local synagogues and finding the Jews that were at the synagogue as well as the Greeks who were considered, quote, God-fearers who, who went because they were captivated or intrigued or even interested in believing to some degree in the Jewish concept of there being one God. And so Paul goes into these synagogues and he tells them that Jesus is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. And from the Greek perspective, Jesus is the Savior of the world. And as Paul expounds, he would take Old Testament scriptures and show the fulfillment of Jesus in those scriptures. And you had then a large number of Jewish people come to faith in their Messiah. But you also had a number of Greeks who saw, wow, Jesus is indeed the Messiah and the Savior of the world. So, Paul leaves those churches and other people come in and begin influencing the churches in a negative way. These are Jewish people who come in and say, Paul was fine for what Paul said. But Paul didn't have enough time with you to tell you what you need to know. Namely, all of you Greeks need to be Jewish to embrace the Jewish Messiah. So you Greeks need to be, you Greek men should be circumcised. Y'all should be honoring Jewish holidays. And as for you Jews who are accepting of the Messiah, that's fine, but don't forget, you still have the Jewish law and you're expected to keep it. And this causes Paul to write this letter. And Paul in this letter takes a very strident, um, almost pugilistic boxing, almost uh, a, a very aggressive tone in saying, no, Jesus did not come and die on the cross so you could live under the law. You could have done that before. You didn't need Jesus for that. Jesus came and died for a higher vision than the law. Jesus came and died understanding that all the law ever did was illustrate to you how the character and the morals and the ethics of God are demonstrated in a human life, at least within that culture and time. And so what the law does is show you that you're not adequate for God. And you need God 
to make you righteous and adequate. As good as you may think you are, you don't measure up to the 100% moral purity of the divine one. And yet the divine one wants you enveloped within his presence. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And the only way that's going to happen is for you to become pure, he will not become impure. And so he will take on your impurities in a sense to die with them, but resurrected unto the glorious God that he is, the holy one, the pure one. And you, by faith, can have his purity imputed onto you. And so the supreme judge of the supreme court of the supreme universe can justly declare you not guilty because the price has been paid and you have been redeemed or bought. And so within the framework of that, Paul sends this letter to them and says, that's the way it is. But once you remove the law as your standard and guide, a problem arises. You see, there's an upside to the written law. If, if this has, if I take the law out of this book and I'm told this is your one, two, three, four. This is your workout plan. This is your meal plan. This is your nutrition this is what you do. This is what time you, I mean, this is how you tithe. This is how you, these are the days you celebrate. These are the things you owe your neighbor. These are the things you owe yourself. Here's your rule book. There's a real upside to that because it's telling you how to live. Tells you what you have to do. Here are Ten Commandments. Keep these Ten Commandments. When you mess up, here's the Day of Atonement. Here's how you atone. You did this, kill a bull. You did that, eh, kill a dove. You did this, you know, I mean, there, there were rules for living. It told you what to do. And Paul's saying, you're not under that anymore. And once Paul says that, if you take away the requirements of the law, the waters start getting kind of muddy. You lose clarity. How shall we then live? What do we do? And so that's the, the, the part of this that Paul's addressing next. That's very important theology, but it's very important for us too. See, Paul says just because the written rules aren't applying to you doesn't make life a free-for-all where you do anything you want. Life is not a free-for-all. So recognizing that the rules, in a sense, the law has been taken away from us and we're not under it, we've still got the question of how are we going to live? And Paul's going to get as close as one can in telling us how to live without just putting down a bunch of new rules. And the, the Sermon on the Mount is not the new list of rules to take the place of the old law. Even though it's very important moral and ethical teaching. 
even though it's very important teaching on how we live. So what I'd like to do are three things with you today. Recognizing that I'm on slide 13 of 65. I'd like to do three things with you today. First of all, I want to really dig in to one distinct verse. I could teach three months on this one verse. So when we're digging in really deep, recognize you're getting three months condensed down to about 15-20 minutes. Daily life. How do we live day by day? Second point, Paul goes through a, a passage where he explains the, the difference between walking after the Spirit and walking after the flesh. And even those terms are weird terms for us. So I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at that. And if we have time, we'll look at the evidence, the proof, how we know that we're living the way we should live. So that's our goal, all right? So let's close the other two windows and let's open the first window first. Here's the passage itself. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I really want to unpack that with you. I want to break that down. But I, you need to know that if you're reading that in the Greek, Paul says, pay attention. And he doesn't say it once. He says it twice. Pay attention. And then just for good measure, he's got a third way of saying, pay attention. This is important. This verse sticks out like a sore thumb. If you're reading this in the Greek, you say, whoa, that has got high. When, when I'm in, in trial, one of the things that I'll do is I'll take, well, here, we'll do it. We'll do it with Galatians 5.16. One of the things I'll do in trial, um, Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Oh, good. I haven't done it yet. Okay, one of the things I'll do when I'm in trial, uh, I've got my trusty little Elmo or IPVO in trial, and I'll have a document, and I'll be talking to the witness about the document. And so I'll take my pens and my highlighters because I like to make emphasis. And I'll say to them, I'll say, now read this with me, please, sir or ma'am. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And sometimes in trial, I'll highlight it just like that while I'm reading it. So the jury can follow and the witness and the judge can follow. Exactly what I'm saying, but it highlights it. It makes it stand out on the page. That's why this is called a highlighter. It makes it stand out on the page. It highlights it. Okay? And then as I keep talking about it with someone, I'll frequently take my red papermate felt tip pen and I'll circle it. So I've highlighted my highlighter. 
And sometimes, if there's something very important, like this word, not, I will take it and I will separate it out and draw horns on it. <laughs> not. N-O-T. Not. And I'll highlight it, what I've highlighted of my highlighting. Three times. Well, that's what Paul does if you're reading the Greek. He's got three layers of highlights on this one verse. So let's unpack this verse and let's break it down. By the way, that took almost as much time as the entire rest of the PowerPoint put together. We need to experience that moment. Okay. <laughs> Paul says, but I say. In the Greek, that's lego day. Lego just means I say, and then day is the but. So, but I say. So this is me talking. Walk by the Spirit. Now look at this in the English. Paul says, but I say, and you saw me highlight that over here, lego day, but I say, and then in the Greek, the very next word, pneumati is the, the form here, is by spirit. Well, that's not the next word in the English, is it? But it is in the Greek. Pneumati is the dative form of pneuma. Pneuma is the Greek word for spirit. It's also the word for breath. Do you know what you have if you have a, 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 a disease that sets up in your breathing lungs? You might have pneumonia. That's why pneumonia is spelled P-N, pneumonia, because it's the ammonia of the pneuma. It's, 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 it's the spirit or the breath. Now the thing is, Panuma can be talking about our spirit or it might mean the Holy Spirit. So sometimes it's capitalized, Holy Spirit, sometimes it's not. But with Paul, they didn't capitalize for Holy Spirit. So when you read in the Greek, you got to figure out, is he talking about the human spirit? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit? Because it's the same word. It's pneuma. And within a human, for Paul, the pneuma is that immaterial part of the inner person that can respond to God. It's where God's spirit dwells within the believer. Now, we live in a very materialistic age. And I love science. I spend a lot of time with scientists. Uh, it's, it's fully half of my job, if not more. And, and some of the world's most brilliant scientists uh, are people that I've, I've had as witnesses both for and against me. I've, I've put them on the stand and I've cross-examined them. Uh, Nobel laureates. I mean, really outstanding scientists in their field. And it's amazing to me how many scientists recognize 
that there is part of the consciousness of humanity that is still not explainable by what we know in neuroscience and the ways the neural and glial cells work in the synapses of the brain. That there are ways that the human body uh, um, uh, 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 have something beyond the material. Now I'm not getting all platonic on us here. I'm not saying that, that, that you, you know, there was a set of experiments that were done in the late 1800s where they took people and they put them on scales as they were about to die and they weighed them. And then when they died, they'd take the weight again. And they'd find that they weighed just a little bit less than they did before they died. And they said that's because the spirit left them. So they figured out how much the spirit weighs. I'm not going there. I'm not going there at all. That's not what I'm saying here. I will tell you. You'll weigh less after you die than before you die by some infinitesimal amount because you're constantly losing bodily fluids even through your skin and everything else. So don't just say, ah, spirit weighs about a, an ounce and a quarter. Or you say, well, they, they had a lot of the spirit men. They were an ounce and a half. You can't do that, all right? That's not what I'm saying. But for Paul, there's part of us, maybe it is in the human brain. I don't know how God has made us. But there's part of us, an inner person, that can respond to God. And for some people who don't respond to God yet, it's that part of them that's nagging them about God. Because the Spirit does that as well. But God's Spirit dwells within us in our spirit. And that's the concept here. So Paul is saying within the framework of this, uh, um, I'll go to that in a moment. But I say, Spirit, by the Spirit. By the Spirit. Now the translators here capitalize Spirit. Because they've determined Paul might be talking about the Holy Spirit. And I think they're right to some degree. I mean, I, I think they're right. But I, I don't think that we get the full impact of this in, in our understanding unless we look also at a passage where Paul writes about this same issue to a church in Rome. In Romans 8.16. So the issue that Paul had with the Galatian church is an issue that's also dealt with in Paul's letter to the Roman churches. This issue of law and how you live and how you're right before God. And so it's a good way to sort of see another facet of the same diamond with Paul. And so if we look at Romans 8.16, it gives you some insight into how Paul uses that word spirit. I'll use my highlighter. The spirit, capital S... Hold on. The Spirit, capital S, himself bears witness with 
our spirit, lower S, that we are children of God. So that immaterial part of us that I was talking about, that uh, inner person, our spirit, God's spirit bears witness with our spirit. That's where God's spirit dwells. So when Paul says walk by the spirit here, he means by the Holy Spirit dwelling, but it's dwelling within our spirit. So it's also our spirit. So it, 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 it's capital S, but it's capital S working with lowercase s, if that makes sense. When I was a child, I really wanted God just to write things out for me. I really am a process person. I'm a rule follower. If I've got a rule, I'm pretty good at following it. Just write it out. Just let me look at it, and I'll do it. Or at least I'll try really hard. I may fail, but, but I'll give it good effort, Okay. But I, I need you to just write it out. And I really struggled with this idea that God's working within me. You know, Paul will say in Romans that we're, we need to be renewing our minds. That God's at work in here. I'm not a puppet. He's not just pulling my strings. He's teaching me to become fully alive. To become the human he made me to be. He's transforming me. He's taking away the cruddy old and he's growing in the beautiful new. And so uh, that, that's, that's what Paul's got here. That's the word spirit. Now the next word in the Greek, so he says, Lego day, but I say, panumati, by spirit, peripatite, um, taita. Uh, he, he, um, Peripateo is the Greek word for, for walk. That's what's here, peripateo. And it means to walk around. So peripateo means, hey, 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 I'm walking around. I walk around the stage. I walk around the church. I walk around the house. I walk around outside. I'm walking around. But the way Paul uses the word here, is it's, it's what scholars would call a Hebraism. In other words, Paul's Jewish vocabulary is being expressed in the Greek language. And, and peripateo is, is the Greek word for a Hebrew word, halach. Now, halach is, is, is the same idea, but, but it doesn't mean simply to walk around. It means to go, to proceed, to go through your day. It's, it's a little bit more like our, um, we, we sort of use walk like that. You know, how's your walk with God? We don't mean, uh, are you going left, right, left, right? Are you skipping? Are you, you know, hopping on one foot? When we say, how's your walk with God? We mean, how, how, how's your life going with him? We're using this word the same way. But, but the Hebrew word halach, uh, the best way I can show you what it means about just going through your day is Genesis 7.18 is, is a passage that uses that word in, in a way that might surprise you. This is a story about Noah and the flood. So Noah's in the ark with the animals. It's smelly. The floods continued 40 days on the land. 
The waters have increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the land. You say, why are you saying land instead of earth? Well, Eretz, the Hebrew word for earth also means land. Um, rose high above the land. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the land and the ark floated on the face of the waters. That's got the Hebrew word halach, to walk, to go, to proceed. The translators translate it floated because that's how the ark proceeded. But it's just this idea that the ark just went about its daily business, if you will, on the water. Okay. That's the way Paul's thinking of this word. When Paul says, by the Spirit, peripateo, walk, he means just daily go about your business, do your thing, do it by the Spirit. All right? Now, by the way, this is also peripatete, uh, uh, peripateta. Um, I'm sorry, I pronounce my Greek like Lubbock, Texas, okay? And if you think I ain't got no good English, uh, you should hear my Greek pronunciation. But sue me, okay? I get free legal help. Um, by the Spirit. And that, the, the, the peripateo here is in the present tense. So it's, it's saying day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour. This is how you need to live. So you live, you walk around by the Spirit. So by the Spirit, walk around. And then it says kai and epithumion is, is uh, the next word. Um, it, it comes from this Greek word, oh, okay, well, I'm putting all of that up there. Oh, I know why. I added a slide. So here's sort of my translation of the thrust of what Paul's saying so far. He's saying, but I say, let your conduct, that's walk around, let your daily conduct be governed by the Spirit. Okay, so that's the thrust of what we've got so far. And then Paul says, and epithemion here is the translated desires. Um, epithemia in, in Greek means not just a desire, it's a craving. It's a deep desire. It can be a deep desire or a craving for something good. Or it can be a deep desire and craving of something bad. If it's something good, they might translate it as desire or something like that. Uh, the Philippians 1.23 passage is the one where Paul says, uh, uh, you know, it, it'd be, I, I desire to go be with God, but it's better for you if I stay here. And knowing that, I'm going to stay here. But Paul writes that letter from prison. And his desire, his deep desire, is to depart and to be with the Lord. And he says, but I know it's better for you if I stay here, so I'm willing to stay. But that's epithemia there, is the, the deep desire. That the deep desire is to be with God. That's a positive. You can get a negative, and when you get the negative, it can be translated like a deep desire or a craving that's a negative. It can be to lust or to covet. Um, uh, if you look at Romans 7, 7, look at the way Paul uses epithemia there. Paul's talking here and he says, 
So what do we say here? If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. If someone hadn't told me what I'm not supposed to do, I wouldn't have known it. But I wouldn't have known what it is to covet, that's epithemia, to um, desire, crave. If the law hadn't said, don't epithemia, don't crave what someone else has. Be satisfied with what God has given you. Don't have a lust and an, and an undue desire and craving for something of someone else's. And then he says, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, then produced in me all kinds of epithemia, deep desires that aren't good. He says, you know, it's sin breeds sin. And, 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 and if I'm feeding those dark desires in my brain, more dark desires are going to grow. It's like nut grass. If you garden, you know what nut grass does? Nut grass is, is the cockroach of the garden world. It's everywhere. If this is the ground, here. Let's step out a little bit. That's the ground. You see this little grass thing growing up like that? What you may not realize, unless you're a gardener, is there's a root that goes down underneath. And it attaches to a nut. And that nut sends out runners to other little nuts. You got a lot of nuts growing. And they just keep breeding. That's the way sin and coveting is. When, when those desires are the dark desires and you give in to those dark desires and you feed them and you nurture them and you let them exist in your garden, those bad desires, those epithemias, they're going to cause more bad desires to come out and more bad desires to go up. And pretty soon your whole life's going to be a bed of weeds choking out any thing useful and taking the nutrition away so epithumia when it's bad and that's what it is here he says but i say by the spirit walk and desires uh, 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 lusts cravings of of sarcos of the flesh so sarx is the, the Greek word for flesh, and it can just mean your body, but Paul's not talking about just your physical body. He's talking about something, and he'll explain it more later on, and I will as well if we get time. But, but he's talking about that base nature, that lower nature of, of, of who we are. Um, the, the old part, the, the, the part that's not been redeemed by the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Okay? Then he says, but the epithemia, the desires, the cravings, the lusts of the flesh, ume, ume, uh, um, whoops, sorry, get rid of that. Ume means not, but it's like really emphatic not, okay? Um, because u means not, and me means not, or means what follows is not. So ume, not not, not squared. 
not um, teleo is this last word. Uh, Telesite is is present. Uh, well, it's not present tense actually. It's a uh, aorist. Um, but but you won't complete an activity. You won't complete the process. You won't finish it. You won't bring it to the end. This is the verb that Christ used on the cross at the end when he says, it is finished. That's tetelestai. Uh, it's this verb. It, it means he's completed it. He's brought it to an end. He's finished. The process is over. The activity's done. Paul says, but I say, if by the Spirit you walk, then the cravings, the desires, the lusts of the flesh, you won't bring them to fruition. You won't bring them to an end. You won't finish them. So if we translate this by the ideas instead of just the words, it would be fair, I think, at least for me it would be, to translate this for some measure of emphasis. I'm not saying it's perfect, but, but I say, let your conduct be governed by the Spirit... And you will not complete the lusts of the baser part of your nature. Now, I told you that this was triply emphatic by Paul. We've got a few people out here who read some Greek. So I just want to point out a couple of things. If you didn't read Greek and you don't care, go to sleep. We'll wake you up. It's just 30 seconds. It's not going to take long, okay? Um, first of all, Paul starts out and says, Lego day up there. Uh, the day is one of these words that Greek is just loaded with. Greek has all these little words that are connecting words. Um, uh, again, Greek was sung almost as much as it was spoken. These accents above, like if you look at that very first Greek word, lego, above the epsilon, the E, you've got an accent going up. You see that? You've got the same thing above the E on the next word, the same thing above the U, the upsilon. And then over here above the I looking letter, you've got a squiggle mark. You see that? And then look at the next I, you've got a downward accent. Those accents were how people sang the Greek, sort of. So when the accent goes up, the pitch went up. When the accent goes down, the pitch went down. On the squiggle mark, the accent went up and down. So they would say, Lego day, pneumati, peripatete, kai. You know, and it was, it was rhythmic singing. So sometimes those Greek particles help with the rhythmic singing those Greek words that are just little one-syllable insertions. And they had a bunch of them. But anytime you take them out, it's a structure called ascendaton in the Greek. You take out all those connecting words and, and it sounds different and it reads different and it's highlighting what's being said. So Paul's taken all of those connecting words out. You don't even have the, 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 the article in any of these words. The, the, you, 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 don't, you don't have, this is, this is a syndeton on steroids because he wants this to really jump out at you. He wants you to understand his emphasis. And then you add to it pneumati, this word right here, by the Spirit. 
you can put Greek words almost anywhere you want in a sentence. But they maneuvered them for, in the sentence, for emphasis. Normally, this dative noun would follow the verb. But Paul's bumped it in front of the verb as he has the epithumion. And, and uh, noun. So he's, he's repositioned the nouns in a way to draw emphasis to what he's saying. And then I've already told you he's got the ume, which is a very emphatic no. So there are three ways that Paul goes about saying this. He says, but I say, and he wants you to understand, he wants this double, triple highlighted. This is important. This isn't a word, a verse to just kind of breeze through. This makes a difference in our lives. And if this looks like, oh yeah, of course, that's a gimme. That's, a, that's 101. And Paul's saying, oh, it's foundational in that sense 101. But it's not a gimme. Dwell on it. Look at it. He wants our eyes and our minds captivated by this very important sense of by the Spirit, conduct your life. Lusts of your baser part, you won't finish. So Paul says much the same thing in Romans 8, 1 through 16. And it's worth spending just a moment looking at. Romans 8, 1 through 16. It, 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 if, you, if you get what I'm saying, you'll better understand Romans 8, 1 through 16. Now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. That Old Testament law. Or any principle of, of living right before God. God has done what the law, weakened by that baser part of our nature, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, but not sinful flesh. And I mean, he, he was flesh, but he wasn't sinful flesh. He was perfect flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in that baser part. So that, a Hena purpose clause in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk peripateo not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. That's what Paul told the Galatians to do. For those who live according to the flesh, that baser part of our nature, they set their minds on things of the flesh. If you're living to, to satisfy that baser nature, that's where your mind's sat. If your God is your appetite, your mind is set on different desires. If your God is, is sensuality, your mind is set on different matters. If popularity is your idol, and that's what you really worship and want, then your mind is set on different matters. Then if the heart of God, the Spirit of God, is where you're living, where you're walking around, if that's your peripateo, those who live 
according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. That baser part of your nature, is, it's destined to die. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life. That's what lives forever. Not the Spirit lives forever. God will redeem our human flesh and we will be like Christ. For eternity we don't dwell as a disembodied spirit. We dwell as a real human being the way we were meant to be. Life and peace. Irene in the Greek conveys a lot of what shalom does in the Hebrew. It's, it's a completion, it's, it's a satisfaction, it's, a, it's okay. It's the reason why in this world, while many people wonder if there's more to life, the person who walks around with the Spirit is content with life. We found the peace that passes understanding. The mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. It can't. Those who are in the flesh, they can't please God. But we are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in us. Now, realize, sorry, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, God would send his spirit selectively to individuals. But through the prophet Joel, God made a declaration that there would come a day where he would pour his spirit out on all flesh. Where everyone who walks with the Lord will have the spirit of God. Jesus made this abundantly clear in his last dialogue with his, his apostles before he goes to the cross. He specifically says, look at, look at uh, this passage in John 14. I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him and it doesn't know him now you know him because he dwells with you and he will be future tense in you this is a very profound verse the spirit of truth they knew him even though they may not have realized it because he dwelt with them how did the Spirit dwell with them through Jesus? Because Jesus had the full measure of the Spirit. So they were with Jesus, they were with the Spirit, but Jesus says there's going to come a point, though, where he'll be in you. See? <laughs> in you. And that's what happened on Pentecost. And Peter on Pentecost even declares that this is, I mean, people are stunned. They're saying, what's going on here? And Peter says, hey, this excitement, this 
uh, uh, speaking in tongues, all of this stuff that's going on. This is not because people are drunk. He says it's 9 a.m. It's the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days, which is what we're in, you know, the, the early days, the days of Christ, usher in the last days. In the last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. It's not selective. That's why Paul's able to say that the Spirit of God communicates with our spirit. And cries out that we've got the Holy Spirit within us. As believers. And so you get that passage in Romans where Paul's talking here. And it's, in, and it's quite sensible. It's a good extension. So he says, you're not of the flesh but of the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And this is how he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And so this is what we have. And this is within the framework of Paul then closing this section out by saying, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. That's what happens here. So that's what we need to know about how we live. We live by the Spirit. Now, I want to tell you something exciting. You and I live in a prophetic time. God prophesied about this very clearly through the prophet Jeremiah. God told Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. Not like the law, not like the Old Testament, not like the Torah. That's the covenant they broke, even though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, in the last days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They'll be my people. And no longer shall one go to his neighbor and, and his brother saying, Know the Lord. They're all going to know me. From the least to the greatest. I'll forgive their iniquity. I'll remember their sin no more. That's us. We're living the prophecy. The Spirit of God. If you are a believer in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within your spirit. And Paul says, once you get that, you're saying, oh my, he's on slide 34. I told you I'm good for about 35 slides. We've got three minutes. So that leaves 30 slides for next week. I will explain some of this spirit and flesh next week. So just skip it. But I will tell you this. <laughs> well, just skip it all. Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. I I'm going to use one of these slides. I'll use this one. Paul understood there's tension in the way we live now. 
He understood, uh, there's a Greek word, thalipsis, that's it's often translated tribulation. It's this idea of, of being under pressure, being pulled two different ways. Paul understood the tension of living now because we still have the baser nature. And, and it wars against the Spirit of God. But Paul tells us that we're to be walking by the Spirit of God. And, and he's going to talk later about how the works of the flesh are evident. You don't need it in written code to know don't go out there and do the works of the flesh. And it's real interesting how he groups them together. He's got things like anger, dissension, and orgies all grouped together. Because he wants it evident. He, he wants you to see that, look, this is not rocket science. If you're walking by the Spirit of God, you know what's right to do. And if you don't, you need to tune into the Spirit of God. But if you're walking by the Spirit of God, spending time in His Word, spending time with Him, because that matters to you and that's what you want to feed, He's going to teach you how to live. It's not going to be a struggle. So here... Let me bring this to an end in the next minute. Points to ponder. Let's live by the Spirit. Let's live by the fruit of the Spirit. He'll say is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are the things. If, if that's what the Spirit's going to grow in you, you don't have to worry about the one, two, threes of the law. You need to worry about how do I show love? How do I, how do I live in joy? How do I find peace? How do I show patience? How am I kind? How do I treat people? How do I, okay? That's what we need to do. And we need to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. Those we need to not walk. That's not what we feed. That's not going to go about renewing our mind. That's going to spend us in the gutter. And then last point to ponder, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> We need to go to church. Let me bless you in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that your spirit will tug at the hearts of those who don't know you. Tug successfully that they'll open the door to hear you. Father, I pray for those of us who have your spirit that we will walk about led by your spirit that your spirit will grow its fruit in us and that we will revel in the harvest of your spirit. That we will flee the works of the flesh and enjoy dwelling in your presence as you renew us in Christ to make us what we can be. That is our prayer this morning in Jesus' name, amen. See you guys at church.